Welcome to the UGA BCM podcast, a ministry of the BCM at the University of Georgia. To find out more about us, follow us on Instagram at UGA BCM. Today we are joined by special guest Jojo Leach, next-gen pastor at 1025 Church in Monroe, Georgia. We hope you enjoy today's episode. I'm excited to be here with you. I do come all the way from the sprawling metropolis of Monroe, Georgia. Anybody else from Monroe in here? We've got a group from our church here, maybe a few of you back there. Maybe you've passed through Monroe before. Thank you so much, Tommy, for the invitation to be here. And I, tonight, I do want to take you somewhere that perhaps uh, some of you have never been before. Matter of fact, it's a book in the Bible, a very small book, um, the book of Haggai. Raise your hand if you've been to Haggai before. You spent some time in Haggai, okay? You spent a very brief time in Haggai because it's only two chapters. But I want you to take your Bible and go there. It's one of my favorite Old Testament books, and here's why. Obviously, right off the bat, because it's short, it's sweet, and it's to the point. Okay, I love things that are just that way, short, sweet, and to the point. Uh, and Haggai, his, his notes there, what we can have in our hands, in God's preserved word. God, we have this, this small book. But it's so rich with instruction that we can apply in our lives. Uh, I tell our student ministry, I am the student pastor. My title's Next Gen Pastor at our church, 1025 Church there in Monroe. But I I tell our students that I was ADD and ADHD before it was cool. And uh, so these little short, uh, I love it when I get my Bible study. And this may sound like I'm not a pastor or I'm not very spiritual or anything. But I love when I'm in my Bible study and I open up or I've got my Bible study set. And I'm one of those chapters that's real short. Anybody else like that? Like when I just, I get up in the morning, I drink my coffee, and I have my little protein bar. And I may not look like I eat protein bars. I probably look like I eat biscuits for breakfast. But I eat protein bars for breakfast. And I have my coffee and my protein bar. And I open up my Bible study. And those mornings where it's a short, sweet, to-the-point chapter, I'm like, yes, it's going to be a great day. And then some of the other days you open it up and it's like 80 verses. And you're like, oh. Lord, I'm going to have to split this like for four or five days, right? Thankfully, Haggai is very short. The other reason that I like the book of Haggai is because it stands out. If you study the minor prophets and you study those, those prophets that wrote to the Jews in that post-exile period, and I'll explain that a little bit more in a minute, you'll see that a lot of them didn't respond very well. A lot of them were more, um, God would say, hey, you need to do this, and they chose to do their own things anyway. But here in the book of Haggai, we'll see, especially right here in chapter 1, we're going to go all the way through chapter 1, we'll see where the prophet speaks, the people then respond, and they do what God wants them to be, wants them to do. And so I always like a happy ending. So I told you this is the post-exile. They've been in exile. And so if you go back and you study, and you have to, when you study the Old Testament in particular, you need to understand the history behind what's going on. And so you can go all the way back and you can study through the Old Testament. You go through the 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. You can see a lot of what's going on, how we got here to the book of Haggai. But literally we had one kingdom. The kingdom split into a northern and a southern kingdom. They both end up going into captivity in different places. And long story short, they end up under Persian control. Okay, so you have the Assyrians, you have the Babylonians, then you have the Persians. And so here we are, we've got these people, and they're now under Persian control. 
The difference between the Persians and the others is the Persians, which we'll see, are going to give them a little bit more leeway to go back to Jerusalem and do what they're doing. Um, If you want to get a background on what's going on here, Ezra chapters 1 through 4 give us the background that puts us right where we're at. Long story short, King Cyrus, the Persian king, has given them a decree and given them everything that they need to go back to Jerusalem. Okay? And so they've gone back, just a few, not all of them, a remnant as the Bible describes them. They've gone back and they're going back to build the temple. And the Assyrian king has given them all that they need. He's even encouraged people to help financially to provide the stuff that they need to build this temple. And so what could go wrong? And so we get here in this book, in chapter 1 of Haggai, and we're now 16 years from when Cyrus said, go back and do that. And we're here, and we see that the temple's not built. Okay, let's start reading in chapter 1. Haggai, okay, take your Bibles. Let me tell you how to get there. I want you to take your Bibles. The easiest way to get there is to go to Matthew in the New Testament and turn backwards. Okay, you go to Malachi. You go to Zechariah, and then you go to Haggai. Okay, when you get there, I want you to just hold your Bible up in the air because I don't want to leave you behind. Look at all y'all. Y'all knew exactly. Like y'all just studied this, didn't you? Like I know y'all been in Genesis, but he like took a break and went to Haggai, didn't he? I knew that would happen. All right. So chapter one, verse number one. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord. If you're writing your Bibles or you're highlighting your Bibles, mark every time you see the word of the Lord. Came, to Haggai, came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Sholtol, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord. Another one you can highlight. The Lord speaking, the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, and you bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and to bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins. While every one of you runs to his own house, therefore the heavens above will withhold the dew, and the earth will withhold its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, and the grain and the new wine and the oil, and whatever the ground brings forth on men and livestock, and on all the labors of your hands. Then Zerubbabel the son of Sholtol, and Joshua the son of Jehozadak the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. 
So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sholtol, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Here we are. The people have heard the message and they are responding. And I, I, want, I want you to just take some notes and look at a few key phrases in there. The title of this message is Consider Your Ways. Haggai says it twice in this message. The Lord of hosts in verse 5. Now therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Then he says it again in verse number 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Every time we come to BCM, Every time we go to our dog packs, every time we go to church, every time we get together, we gather together under the Word of God, guess what? It's an opportunity for us to consider our ways. It's an opportunity for us to step away from the busy life that we have. It's an opportunity for us to set aside every other thing that's on our mind, every care in this world, and everything that just keeps us so complicated and so busy and to ask ourselves, where am I in my relationship with the Lord? Consider your ways. And so in this, I've got just a few things that I want you to consider. And as you're considering it, if you were to study that phrase, it literally means this. To set to heart or search out the motives of your own heart. Consider your ways, set to heart or search out the motives of your heart. you realize that all of the enemies that we have as Christians... They want your heart. They want the center of who you are. Because they know that the Bible says, so as a man's heart is, so is he. He thinks from his heart. Everything comes from the heart. We've heard the terminology, garbage in what? Garbage out. The world wants our heart. The devil wants our heart. You realize our flesh wants to control our heart and make sure that our heart is far from God. But God wants our heart. And if we're going to look at our heart and we're going to examine our heart, we're really going to have to think about it. We're going to have to realize what are the motivations for why I do what I do. Or what are the motivations, what are the reasons for the reasons I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Now right now, before I even get into the meat of the message, everybody in this room has something going on in your life. Look, I'm working on my master's degree right now at Luther Rice. And I am like, my, my professors, and y'all may have professors like this here at UGA or whatever other school you're going to, where it's like every week, it's like they just pile more and more and more on you, right? Like they don't have a life. Most, most professors don't. And, you know, so they say, hey, you're in school. That's what they'll tell you. Hey, you're in school and you're paying me. So I really don't care if this takes away from your life. You're going to focus on this. And so we all have this stuff that is demanding our attention and demanding us to prioritize it, don't we? Yet we have a relationship with the Lord that so often takes a back burner. It's no longer prioritized. Will you tonight consider your ways? Let me give you just three simple points when we talk about considering your ways. Number one, we need to consider His Word in your life Eight times in this chapter, in those 15 verses that we just read, eight times in chapter 1, we see that the message to the people is a message from God. It wasn't just Haggai getting up and deciding he wanted to make a difference. 
It wasn't this guy that said, you know what, I'm just going to be a prophet today and I'm going to speak some truth into life. There's a lot of people out there that want to speak a lot of things into our life. But we need to know that what's being spoken into our life is the Word of God. Because the Word of God alone is infallible. The Word of God alone is inerrant. The Word of God alone is what we need in our life. In eight times in this little bitty chapter, we see indications that it's the message from God. In verse number 13, we see that Haggai is the Lord's messenger with the Lord's message. In verse 12, we see that everyone, excuse me, had returned from exile, obeyed the voice of the Lord. In verse 2, they're labeled this people. Catch this. They were labeled this people say. That's what it says in verse 2. In displeasure from the Lord. But in verse 12 and in verse 14, we see that God is labeled as their God. It's always pleasing to God when we adhere to His Word. How is your relationship with the Word of God? Think about it. The psalmist says, I will hide God's Word in my heart that I might not sin against God. God's Word is there. He has preserved it for us so that we can know how to avoid sin. It's full of promises that tell us that God will never leave us nor forsake us. That we can cast our cares on Him and He cares for us. It promises that when we're in temptation, He'll give us a way of escape. He promises that He'll guide us and direct us. Solomon says, that lean not to your own understandings, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Now, there's not a soul in this room that says, I don't, I don't care about security. Now, I did hear some weird kids talking about they don't lock their house here in Athens, and I don't understand that. I live out in the country, and I lock everything I have. Like, I, I, you know, I walk into my bedroom, and I have to unlock it. No, I'm not that bad. But I lock everything I have. Everybody wants security, okay? And there's not a soul in here tonight that says, you know what, I really don't want any guidance in life. I just want to figure it out. Look, if that's you, go ahead and quit school, okay? Because it's not going to end well, okay? God's Word promises security and guidance and help and all these other things. That's what Solomon said. He said, lean not to your own understanding. We go through life and we get into more trouble because of what? We lean to our own understandings, don't we? Guys in the room, we try to figure it out and fix it, don't we? That's what we're, we're kind of built that way. If you've got a girlfriend, guess what? She'll come to you with, with her problems and her, her worries and concerns. And all she wants you to do is just shut up and listen. And you're like, hey, I'll tell you how to fix that. And next thing you know it, you're like, you're on the bad list. Like, I didn't want that from you. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm 34. I've been married for over 10 years. And I still haven't figured it out. But I can preach about it. <laughs> My wife's like, hey, I got this going on. I was like, let me tell you how to fix it. And she's like, I'm done. I, you know. And thankfully, we, we arrived at that conclusion. It's like, you look, when you see me trying to fix it, just walk away. We'll be better off. But we try to figure stuff out. We try to lean to our own understandings. But God's Word tells us that we can lean on Him. We can lean into Him. We can seek Him for guidance. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy that God's Word is profitable for doctrine. What is right? We can know what's right. For reproof, what is not right. For correction, how to get right. And for instruction, how to stay right. God's word is profitable. How is your relationship with God's word? 
I want you to consider how God created his word. The Bible tells us, uses terminology like inspired, which literally means God breathed it into existence. God breathed it. Over in 2 Peter, he talks about how holy men of God wrote as the Spirit spoke to them. It's God's word. It was created for us. It was produced for us so that we could have all these things and much more than what I'm talking about. Not only was it created for that purpose, can you just realize with me for just a moment how it's been preserved over all of these years? How there's been really evil people with really evil intentions who have tried to get rid of this book. And yet here we stand today and we have a copy of God's Word available to us. Whether we've got it in our hand like this or you've got it on your phone, it's still God's Word. And it's awesome that it's preserved for us. And guess what? It's still just as good. And we can learn and we can grow and we can know exactly where God wants us to be. Consider his word in your life. How is God's word in your life? In verse 13 he talks about, he uses the same terminology that we see in the Great Commission when Jesus is talking. And he says, this is the Haggai speaking, the Lord's message to the people. Saying, I am with you, says the Lord. Jesus says the same thing when he says to go into all the world. He says, and lo, and I am with you always. Isn't it awesome that God is with us? As we're trying to navigate this thing called life, he's with us there. But I point that out for you because your relationship with the word of God is indicative of your relationship with the God of, word, of the word. Let me say it again. Your relationship with the word of God is indicative of your relationship with the God of the word. When's the last time you sat down and you spent time in God's Word? Would you think about that over here? And over here, I want you to think about what's going on in your life. And just think with me for just a moment. How would this situation be different if we applied this to it? Consider His Word in your life. I'm telling you, and I'm still learning. Tommy Jr. is still learning. We're all still learning. But guess what? It's awesome when we can see God's Word and apply it in the life, in the situations of our life and watch it work. It's a wonderful thing. Consider His Word in your life. Number two, consider His work in your life. Now here we are in this text. And the whole point of this text is that the Jews, guess what? They moved from being in exile, the Persian king said, you can go back to Jerusalem. You can go back and you can build the temple. You can go back and you can worship your God. You can go back and do all of this stuff. You can go over in Ezra 3 and you can see where he decreed all of that. So from the, the, as far as authority goes in the, in the world, the, the man with the most authority says, hey, go back and do what you need to do. And here's the tools and here's the supplies and here's the financing and everything you need to be successful. And he says, go. And here we are 16 years later and the temple is not built. As we look through the text, we see excuses. In verse number 2, look at verse number 2. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, this is what the people said, this is their excuse. The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. It's not time yet. It's been 16 years. You've been given everything that you need in order to do what you need to do. And the time has not come. Any procrastinators in here? Anybody got a paper due tonight at like midnight and you hadn't even started it? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And I got like three papers. I've got like eight books I got to read and they're all like that thick. 
And like in, in, in theological, in the theological world, there's like no cliff notes either. So you just have to like, like those books don't have them. I'm there. <laughs> you know, I'm one of those people, I'm like, I do my best work when I, I'm under pressure. But they've taken it to a whole, I've never waited 16 years to finish my paper, right? That's a long time. But they're still saying, hey, it's not time to do the Lord's work that he brought us back to do. God enabled us to come back and gave us everything that we needed to do. And it's still not time. What excuses are you making to be involved in the Lord's work? Think about that. We finally see them obeying. But it took 23 days even then. When you go from verse 12 to the end of the chapter and you see from the first verse 1 to verse 15, you do the math there, it's 23 days that it took them to listen to the message and do what God wanted them to do. 23 days to obey. When God gives us work to do, it's the right time at that point in time. Delayed obedience is still what? It's still disobedience. And we're so good at that, of delaying things. And you know what? Here's what I think. I think a lot of times we say, all right, well, God's not breathing down my neck, getting me to do these things, but this person is, professor, your girlfriend, whatever, right? They're breathing down our neck, wanting us, your boss at work, wanting us to finish this task, and we're saying, all right, so this, these things are important, and they're obviously urgent, and this is God's stuff over here, but God's not really giving me a hard time right now, so what do we do? We fall to the pressure of those other people to make those other things more of a priority than what God has for us to do. And you're sitting in here today, and there may be some of you in the crowd tonight that you are thinking, well, I, I don't really don't have anything to do for the Lord. Let me tell you something. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and you've trusted Him to be your Lord, guess what? You have work to do. You see what happens when we get saved? The Holy Spirit comes in and indwells us. The Holy Spirit now resides within you and gives you spiritual gifts. What are those gifts for? Not just for you. Those gifts have a purpose. You go over into Ephesians chapter 4, one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament, and it talks about how the people of God are being equipped for the work of the ministry. You, born-again believers who know Jesus Christ, yourself, you have a job to do. Consider His work in your life. Are you doing what God wants you to do? Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, I don't know what God wants me to do. How do I know that? You need to get with God and you need to get in His Word and you need to get involved in a local church. I want to just echo something that Tommy Jr. has told you before. I know he has because he's told me, guess what? BCM is not the local church. BCM is a gathering of believers. Guess what? You need to be involved in a local church. And 1025 Church is only 30 minutes down the road. Okay? There's a lot of good... Great churches that you can be involved in. But you want to get involved in God's work? Get involved in a church that's out there trying to win people to Jesus. There are plenty of lost people to be one in this world. Guess what? Have you walked around Athens lately? Have you listened to people in Athens lately? There's a lot of work to do in Athens. And I'm looking out and I see about 200 folks who've got work to do. Are you doing the work or are you making excuses? Think about that. Think about the excuses. What kind of, here's another question, what kind of emphasis do you put on the work of the Lord? Is it important to you? Does it take a priority? Look at verse number four. He says, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruin? And here's the, here's the reality. Paneled houses, if you go in and study that, were normally 
another term that you could use in here that you could see um, from the Hebrew text is uh, sealed houses. And these were houses that were actually nicer houses and they were uh, accustomed to be like the way the king's house looked or the inside of the king's house looked. And yet there in there, he's talking to the people, the remnant, the ones that came out of that captivity and they're back in Jerusalem and they have sealed houses. And here's a thought. It appears based on my study in the book of Ezra that everything they needed to buy or to build the temple was provided over 16 years ago. But if we look in verse number 8, he says, Go up in the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. They were given everything that they needed, and yet Haggai says to go up in the mountains and get what they need. Here's a thought. I just came across it when I was studying it. Could it be that they used what was designated for the Lord's house? On their own houses? That's speculation, okay? That's not in the Word of God, but I, I'm, I'm studying it and I'm looking at the context and I'm saying, why did they have what they needed and why are they having to get it again? With their mix up in their priorities, when they're saying, hey, it's not time to build the house of the Lord yet, I think it's very easy that they had their priorities mixed up. That they could have very well used the materials and supplies that the king of Syria gave to them to build the house of the Lord on their own houses. Their priorities were mixed up. I wonder if you're sitting in here tonight, man, you're realizing, you're like, man, my priorities are mixed up. I've been focusing on this over here, and yeah, this is important. But it's not as important as my relationship with God. It's not as important as the work God has for me. It's not as important as that, but I've been putting it up here as if it's number one in my life. Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and the rest of these things, all these other things, shall be added unto you. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are you seeking good grades? Are you seeking a relationship? Are you seeking a job? You're seeking a career. You're seeking something else. Guess what? All these other things will be added unto you. Seek his kingdom first. Put his work first. What we do for God is of eternal value. But if we're not careful, our projects will become the priority instead of his projects that should be the priority. Is God's work prioritized in your life? Think about that question. If you were to ask your friend sitting next to you, maybe a friend tomorrow or even a family member, what they think of your priorities, would God's work be at the top? Would it be anywhere near the top? What would God say? Are you putting an emphasis on the work of the Lord in your life? Question number three, when we're considering his work in our life, what kind of effort do you put forth in the work of the Lord? Let me share with you. I work for Fellowship of Christian Athletes as well. Anybody in high school involved in FCA? When you're in high school? Okay. Yeah, some FCA folks back there. A little excitement. Thank you all. I'm glad I can see I can hear you all. That's great. And so I work for FCA. It's just one of those things where it allows me to spend more time in the schools as a student pastor. And here's what I've realized. It's very easy to go through the motions. Let me explain. I can go to any coach and say, Coach, I want to come and talk to your team. And I want to talk to them about character. 
and I want to talk to them about leadership, or I'll talk to them about career development or even building their resumes, I can talk to them about a lot of good things. And guess what? Every one of those coaches that I go to would be happy with me talking about that. But here's the mission of FCA, to bring athletes and coaches to a relationship between them and Jesus Christ and his church. It's not my job to help them build character. Christ will build character in their life. It's not my job to help them be wise. Christ will give them wisdom. It's not my job to help them build their resume. They need to seek God's will in what God wants them to do. But it would be real easy for me to go through the motions and say, you know what, I can talk about this. And I can, look, I, I, I spent about 10 years in banking and finance. I can talk about those things. And I really don't have to study. Like, I can just sit down and talk with someone about those things. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a place for that. But that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. That's not the work the Lord has called me to do or given me the opportunity to do. And so what I'm telling you when we're talking about putting forth the effort in the work of the Lord, it's easy to do what is easy. And that's it. If I were to just go and talk about one of those simple things, those coaches would be none the wiser. They wouldn't care. They'd be happy that I came and and, and shared something with those coaches or with those athletes. They would have been pleased with that. But that's not what I'm there to do. Here's another area. When when I'm working with children or even with teenagers, it's it's a mindset. Tommy Jr., you may do this here. Look, hey, I know the Word of God better than they do, so I really don't have to put a whole lot of effort into studying. That's a temptation. Let's say, you know, I know this text. I can walk through this text with my eyes closed, so I really don't have to put forth the effort. Can I tell you that as I was studying for this again tonight, and I've, I've preached this before, and I, I've, I've used different notes. I always go back and create a whole new set of notes. Because what I've found is that God gives me more and more and more and more as I study. God wants us to put forth the best effort that we can put forth. But it would have been easy just to pull up my notes and say, right, i got a sermon. And I just preach whatever I preached last time. That's not what it's about. It's about putting forth the best effort, what God wants us to do. Do we put forth a greater effort for God's work or for our own work? Think about that. Do you give God the best or do you give God the rest? What kind of effort are you putting forth in the Lord's work? Last question about the Lord's work. Why do you engage in the Lord's work? Is it out of obligation? I'm a GPK. Anybody know what that is? I think I said that. No, I'm a PGK. Tommy, you're a PK, right? Preacher's kid, pastor's kid, something like that. My grandfather was a pastor, was my preacher. And here's what happened on most Sundays. My grandfather or my grandmother would call my house, back before cell phones, and they would call the number to our house, and I would run as a child, as a small child, I would run down there, and I'd pick up the phone. And they're like, hey, are y'all on the way to Sunday school? No, we're not. And my grandmother even told me one time, she said, go to the water faucet, get some cold water, and go pour it on your daddy's face. Man, I got the beaten. Like, like t- nowadays, like, I would have, yeah, they would have called defects, and I would have been moved away. But back then, it was okay to just to beat the snot out of your kids. No, needless to say, we didn't make it to Sunday school. We didn't make it to church. We didn't make it to anything that day. But the point was is that we went to church because Papa and Mama 
called us and wanted us to go to church. The reason that we did what we did because we were obligated to do it. That's not the way it's supposed to be. I found even just looking in my life with my family members, many of them now that my grandfather has passed away, you know what, they're not even involved in church. Or if they are, it's a very limited capacity. Because the obligator, the one that obligated them to do those things, and I don't think he had bad intentions at all. I love my grandfather. I love his ministry. I love everything that I've learned from him. But what I have learned is that when people do things out of obligation, when the obligation runs out, they stop doing it. Why are you doing the work of the Lord that you're doing? Is it because you're doing an obligation? Or are you doing it because you enjoy serving Him? Look, there's great joy in serving the Lord. Are you participating in the work of the Lord? If not, you need to get involved. You need to find yourself working and heavily involved in that. And like I said earlier, if you don't know what to do, get in God's Word. Get involved in a local church. And God will show you the work that needs to be done. And there's so much of it. Last point. I'll go ahead and ask the folks to come up with our invitation music for tonight. But the last point is this. Consider his worship in your life. From this chapter we learned the Jews had all but forgotten how to worship. The temple wasn't important. The center in that culture of worship would have been in that temple. And yet they are not building the temple even though they've been given everything they need. As I was studying I said why would they not do it? Why would they not finish it. Why would they not? Why, why is it not a priority? Here's three things that I came up with when I was studying. Number one, their challenge was greater than their obedience. You say, what was their challenge? You see, if you go back in Ezra and you study, you see that their neighbors, the Samaritans, didn't want them to build. It even talks about them being their adversaries or their enemies and Guess what they did? They tried for about four chapters there in Ezra to make it. And they were even successful at times to challenge, challenge all those things. Challenge the work that needed to be built or the temple that needed to be built. That's one reason that maybe they didn't involve themselves in the work that God had before them. Number two, we talked about, hey, they were in their own house. I think the other thing is their comfort was greater than their obedience. You see, they got so comfortable living the way that they live that it was no longer something to think about, to be obedient. And then they became content. Their contentment was greater than their obedience. They didn't need anything else. And so they no longer needed God. And so if they no longer needed God, they didn't need to do His work. When we think about worship... We think about what God has done. Not just what he's done, but who he is. What I've found in my life is that when my relationship with the word is where it needs to be, and my relationship with his work is where it needs to be, that I'm able to worship him. Because I see in his word, I learn about his love and his mercy and his grace. And here's the biggest one for me, his patience. 
Aren't you thankful God's patient? Man, I'm thankful for His patience. But His Word, you learn about it and you see those things unfold in your life. Isn't He worthy of our praise? But then we get involved in His work. And we see God using us. How in the world could the God of the universe, the creator of all the universe, how could He use someone like me to do His work? Why would He use someone like me? Tell you a quick story and then I'm going to finish. We're talking about His worship in our life. Two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to sit in my office with a young man by the name of Daniel. I sat down with him in my office and, and just so you get a little bit of a background, a couple months ago, Daniel got arrested for making terroristic threats at our local high school. He got arrested. He, he made a bunch of threats that were, man, it's bad stuff. He's still going through the court proceedings and, and still there, there might be a negative outcome because of all that he's done and all that he's said. But he sat down in my office and he said, I don't want my life to be like this. He told me how his mom abused him and how she ran away with another man earlier on in his life. And she'll creep back into his life every now and then just when she can get something from his life. But other than that, he doesn't have a mother. His mother left and his father promised to him and his brothers, hey, I, I'll never leave you like your mom has left you. And not too long ago, his father found a woman and guess what? He did. He left him. Left him and his brother to live in an apartment by themselves. His older brother said, hey, Daniel, I won't do what mom and dad have done to you. But guess what? A week before he sat in my office, guess what his older brother did? He got a girlfriend and he moved in with her. Everybody in Daniel's life, every person that he could look at and he could trust, and every person that he would uh, just love, have somebody to love on him, all of those people in his life had made promises to him. And guess what? They did not keep them. When you begin to learn this about Daniel, you begin to understand how in the world he got to where he is. Making the threats that he made, you understand those things, but that doesn't make it right. And he, he sat down in my office and he said, I don't want this anymore. He said, I want to have a successful life and I want to have a relationship. He's dating a girl in our youth group. He said, I want to have a relationship that maybe one day we can get married. And He just went on this whole thing, but he said, where I'm at now, I can't get there. And I said, Daniel, because you got something missing. Jesus is missing in your life, Daniel. And until you get Jesus in your life, you're never going to have those things that you think you want. And in my office that day, I got to lead Daniel to the Lord. And let me tell you, when I'm talking about being involved in the work of the Lord, let me tell you what helps me to worship. When you see that young man who walked up for the first time, every time I saw him up until the moment he got saved, he would not talk to you. He acted like he hated the world. But I led him to the Lord and he stood up and he said, can I give you a hug? I said, sure, man, I'll give you a hug. You realize that guy has hugged me like ten times since then? He's had a smile on his face, his disposition. I, I sent a message out to our leadership in our student ministry. I said, hey, did y'all see Daniel this last Wednesday night? I said, did you notice anything different? 
different. I didn't tell them what I was trying to get at, but they all said it. Yeah, he had a smile on his face. Yeah, he came even when his girlfriend, who the one he wants to get married to, she wasn't there, but he came anyway. Yeah, he, he was more involved, and he was talking to other people, and he just looked like there was something different about him. Guess what? Jesus was different about him. And when I see that God uses someone like me, not that I did anything. I was just the vessel willing to be involved in the work of the Lord. Man, he's worthy to be praised. When we have the word of God where it needs to be, and we're involved in the work of God like we should be, then we'll be able to worship him like he deserves to be worshipped. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you enjoyed this week's message, share it with a friend. To stay up to date with us, follow us on Instagram at UGABCM. We hope to see you next Monday night at Gathering.